Friday night, and that means it's time for... Football bloody hell. And on the show tonight, we've got... Adam Davis from up in York. Will Brummel's here from down here in Somerset. As to is A.D. Hopper. Oh, that's me, isn't it? And Ricky Hyatt's here as usual. And formal Yeovletown defender Tom White joins us. Let's get stuck into the topics of the weekend. everybody welcome to football bloody hell uh, let me first of all introduce the participants for this evening first of all we've got ex Town defender tom white evening everybody and then we've got will brummel hello everyone the west ham folk who's a bit pissed off with life in general as i am rick uh you're here aren't you oh yeah totally yes. hacked off with everything so yeah. that's good and Adam, our Northern Correspondent up in York, he's here as well. Hello, Adam. Evening, slightly less hacked off. Yeah, exactly. Now, before we start, just a message I think he might be listening. Our Hilda. Well, our Hilda and his partner, Abby, are having a baby. And uh, the, the said baby has got a little bit impatient. And in fact, he's nine weeks early at the moment, and he's making noises to the effect that he wants to come out. So... Um, Hope everything's going well down there, uh, Hilda, and uh, obviously we're all behind you and wish you all the best. So there we go for that one. Let's cross that one off the list. I'm going to start with Yeovil versus Woking. Um, uh, what can you say about it? We've lost another game. I mean, Tom, what do you think about the situation at Yeovil? You haven't been on the show for a while. Um, you know, no, obviously still following results, etc. And, and sort of some of the stuff that people say and some of the lads at work, etc. Uh, still go quite regularly. Um, I had a little look today and I think this is quite a scary fact. I think they've only scored more than one goal twice this season. Mm. Um, I mean, that's just not enough, is it, to win games? So, um, I mean, I don't know if they've been creating much because I've, I've not watched many of the games uh, live. But... Um, that's a bit of a scary fact. I think I think it was when I looked twice this season they've scored two, and they haven't scored three once. Um, I mean, you don't win games, do you, with with that sort of uh, striking or, or um, attack attack uh, prowess? It's not 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 great. No, it's not definitely. Um, 
Well, you've you've been to see them. I mean, you you went to the Taunton game at uh, Hewish Park, and I was there with you, and it was it was pretty painful to watch, wasn't it? Yeah, I I, I can't see where we've had you know we have this conversation all the time where the player to score the goals is coming from. Alex Fisher, um, experienced player, but he's not scoring. I I don't know. It's looking at Yo. It's like looking at West Ham. You know, West Ham haven't got a striker either. So, as Tom's saying, if you don't score the goals, you're not going to win the game. So, I I don't know. Unless they drag someone from another league or find this new player, um, whether Mark Cooper's got more contacts, he can find a striker. Um, I don't know. You know, nil-nil's better than losing, but it's not as good for the fans. And it's tough. It's tough at the moment. Yeovil must turn a corner and I don't know where they're going to get the players from to say if Mark Cooper's got contacts let's hope he can find someone who can put the ball in the back of the net but at the moment it looks highly unlikely that Yeovil are going to win any games you know let alone one mm. yeah Adam you got any views from up north it's uh it's it's grim watching sitting up here in the north uh, outside of my uh, glorious Three Valleys radio career, I watch an awful lot of York City and obviously play in the same league. And the difference between what Yeovil could look like versus how York have played at stages and more importantly, teams have played against them is terrifying. Um, I'm looking at the table now and we are the lowest scorers in the league. And that is actually to a little surprise, really. It's um, our last game I went and watched was Oldham Athletic away, and quite frankly, I wished I hadn't. It was it was a performance completely devoid of, I don't know, a plan more than anything. It was you know if if the chances were going in, you know if we, had, we create lots of chances we couldn't finish, it'd be easier just right right. We need new striker. The, the plan was working. I appreciate that was under the former regime, but the players are exactly the same. And it's it's uh, it's difficult. I think we need a creative outlet as much as we do a striker. I think the midfielders we have are very defensive. Um, you know, as much as I like Josh Staunton an awfully lot, he's not a midfielder. He's a centre-back in every other world, but we're having to play him as one of our main attacking outlets because the likes of Matt Worthington's always injured. Um I think we can turn a corner. I think I think there is stuff there, and I do uh, I agree with Will. I think the contact book of Mark Cooper is much larger than it was of Chris Hargreaves. Um, but if they would like to turn it around sooner rather than later, that'd be great. Yeah, Rick, you see it in this season. What do you reckon? It's difficult to disagree with anything that's uh, the other chaps have said so far. I mean, there was a feeling up until the Solihull Moors game, which we won that things were taking shape and it was going to be uh, moving onwards and upwards. But then the Taunton FA Cup game and came and uh, put the mockers on that. But even then, it was never going to be a goal fest. The thing is, there's, the whole thing around Yeovil at the moment is just devoid of any joy. If, if you were going out, or if they were going out and they were losing, get exactly the same result, but losing 4-3, People would at least have something to go home and talk about and, and whatever. But if there's no goals in the game and you're just sitting around waiting for that one that goes in that causes you to lose, then it's pretty grim grim viewing. And it's not been easy on the eye for quite a while. Hmm. So hopefully Mark Cooper's got a big old file of that and he can drag someone out of somewhere. 
Well, it's obvious that the problem's up front. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to work that one out. Um, And, of course, uh, against uh, Woken, uh, Grant Smith saved a penalty as well, which was, uh, you know, could have been worse. But, um, you know, the question is, I mean, uh, Tom, have you ever been involved in any sort of scouting for for clubs during your career? Um, I did a few for um, just Skivo when um, he first took over... um, a striker by the name of Michael Smith, um, quite tall, was from Stoke. I think um, Pulis was at Stoke, and he was friendly with um, the former owner, um, Norman Aylmuth. Yeah, um, and he wanted him to go straight in the first team. So I went to watch him for Skiver, and I brought a camcorder along, and I filmed him. Uh, he's a tall striker. He's been at Rotherham and a few other places. He's, he's scoring goals in like League One and Two. Um, and whilst he's not a bad player now, I just said to Skiver, he's not ready right this second in time, which he wasn't at, at 18. He wasn't ready um, to go. Skiver wanted him straight in the first team at that point. So, um, no, apart from that, to be fair, it's something I would like to do, especially with sort of younger players, but um, the opportunities never really come, come through enough. Um, but yeah, like the guys are saying, it's going to be all about his contacts um, from hopefully from league clubs. Um, but again, the tricky thing is if you're if you're signing young lads on loan um, that the other managers are offering you, they're not they're an unknown, and you don't necessarily know how they're going to react to playing at this level um, four points on a Saturday in front of a crowd, as opposed to what could possibly be tippy tappy football in a in a under 21 or under 23 league, you know, it's it's not like it used to be back in my day. You know, the reserve league was still men. Um, you know, we were we used to play like Arsenal and Tottenham and Chelsea at their grounds and things like that. You know, it's fantastic for you know 17, 18 year old. You know, we I remember playing for Bristol Rovers. We played Arsenal at home, and they had about seven of the Invincibles playing, and we beat them three 0 in front of four thousand in a reserve game. It was a joke. Mm. Um, but you know, they, they, it's not like that no more. So the kids don't get necessarily the, uh, a like for like comparison to what they're going to be playing on a Saturday. So, and that's the problem is it's unearthing players that are proven is is not going to be easy. Um, and again, the ones that are, are going to cost money. So, well, I wonder where the money come into the equation. But I mean, if if you're a manager and and you you go and watch, I don't know, Sutton United or something, and they say, oh yeah, I've got just a job for you. You want to try this lad? Is there not a suspicion that 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 they're trying to unload one of their players of because money wise they're going to because let's face it, no no football club's got a lot of money. So if they can sort of unload a player that's not doing them too much farm, you know, from a uh, a playing point of view, and it cuts their budgets, they're going to be pleased, aren't they? Of course, yeah. That's that's the thing is that's where you need to know the players, and you know most of the time these managers will know the players in and around the levels that they're playing. Um, and I'm just gonna, I know, God bless him, uh, Adam Stansfield, and his son's obviously at Exeter now. Jay, sort of watching his career quite closely, but um, you know they, those type of players are out there, um, but people don't seem to be looking or giving them a chance. You know, Stado. Stano King from was it Torrent? Tor- it was Elmore, wasn't it? Elmore, Elmore that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and I remember playing. You know, a couple of games I played in reserves when stuff went on in my life, and I had to play a couple of reserve games. I remember playing Torrington with a bunch of kids. You know, I was twenty-seven or something like that, and I was playing against Torrington on a Saturday with a load of the young lads who were at Yeovil at the time. And you know, they had some tidy strikers, so that 
they're about. Um, I suppose it's, again, it's down to finding them and you know taking that risk on them or giving them a chance. You know, get get a few in on trial, see how they perform, and they've got desire and hunger. I mean, first and foremost, for me, look for someone with some pace. Mm. Um, you can't go too far wrong with a bit of pace. If someone's got pace, you can work on finishing a bit. You can work on you know some of the runs they can make, but you, you ain't got pace. You can't coach pace. No. But of course, um, they've got a good week now. Well, they they're, they've just had a good week, I should say, from a point of view of training. What difference does a solid week of training make? Yeah, it can help a lot with uh, organisation, uh, shape, um, defensive um, attitude, and you know to attack balls and you know desire. You can you can you can um, practice some of those types of scenarios, uh, and you can obviously do some attacking drills. So people getting into the box. You know, runs that you're making, crossovers, um, movement, um, you know, those type of things. Um, but then it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to pay off straight away. But, you know, you'd expect a new manager coming in. And I think you've touched on it, but if, if you come to what, you know, Uno Emery's already done at Villa, you know, a new manager coming in can can have an impact. The players, you know, they don't become bad players overnight. They're, they're obviously capable at this level, most of them. But maybe it's just, you know... Something needs to some some ideas need changing and some inspiration needs to be put into the dressing room for the lads to be a bit more up for it or a bit more desire or you know or or, or effort generally or you know mm. a little risk here and there not so safe maybe I, I don't know. Well, do you reckon a, a week with a new manager will help because obviously he hasn't really had much time with the team up until this point, has he? Hello, Will. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, well, I um, made you nod off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. We had this conversation the other day, last time, didn't we, about how a, a new manager coming in, what difference he makes and how quickly he makes a difference. One, one of the things I felt with Yeovil is, you know, the fitness. We seem to lose games at the end of the game, you know, lose matches at the end of the game. Are, are they fitter? Um are they fit enough? And is Mark Cooper going to change that? You know, he's saying they've got a week with, you know, he's got a week with the players, so maybe things will change. You know, what I was going to go back to was what Tom was saying about reserves. Um, does Tom think that the fact there's no reserve team in any club by the looks of it now, I don't know what league you're in, um, is, was that a negative? Um, as you're saying, to get young players playing with senior players, I always felt was a good experience and made them Definitely. better players. But now they all play in this under twenty ones, under eighteens. It why did they change it? You know, what was the reasoning behind it? Yeah, I don't know the honest reason why they've changed it, but um I would definitely say one hundred percent uh it's great for a young lad to to play with, you know, seasoned professionals. Um, you know, it's 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 things like what line they hold. So when you're a young lad coming through as a defender, as I was, you would be significantly deeper in your own half um, than what a professional uh, team would be. And I remember it for myself. The first couple of games I played in the reserves, um, I played my first reserve game when I was 15. I was still at school, believe it or not, right back. Um, but I remember playing alongside a guy called Billy Clark. And, you know, he was, he was taking me up a good five or six yards more further up the field than I was ever comfortable with at that age. Um, and it was a big difference. Um, so, you know, there are definitely things that you do as a, as a seasoned professional um, that young lads coming through won't know. Um, and, you know, it's, it's experience things like tricks of the trade and things like that that players are going to do against you um, when you're a young lad coming through. That, you know, you're not, 
another 18 or 19 year old is not going to do against you. But someone who's been playing for 25, 30 years, like Mick Hartford, I played Mick Hartford once, you know, he was, he was a bully, an absolute bully. I was 17, 18, and he was bullying me. Um, you know, and you, you try not to get close to him. He's poking him in the eye and all kinds of things. Um, <laughs> so it's those sort of things that you, you're not going to get against another 17 or 18 year old because he doesn't know to do that. But yeah, it's a shame. There are obviously reasons behind it. Um, I don't understand them because, again, as if you're a pro, you want to be playing regular football and to be in and out of a team and not starting and not getting regular um, game time is crucial, mm. absolutely crucial for your awareness, you know, for concentration um, and, like you were saying, match fitness, you know. I'm not being funny. If you're out for two weeks, you you start, there's a difference. You know, there is a difference in your um, speed of thought, train of thought, awareness, um, you know, um, communication between players, it's critical. Mm. Well, it's, it's, I suppose it's... a lot to do with it was the fact that <clears throat> substitutes bench. You know, there's a lot of players on the substitutes bench these days, and back in the day, you, you kind of didn't have that many waiting to come on, so you needed your players to play these games, your senior players. But now yeah. they just sit on the bench, don't they? And that's why it's yeah. all changed, and there's no yeah. reserve setup anymore, is there? Well, it's For just... me, it's like, and it's, it's, this sounds where I was thinking about this the other day, and I was thinking, what sort of things do players, what, what gets a player going? And I remember thinking to myself, do you know the biggest thing that players rely on and, and enjoy? And if you take that away from them, it is, as, it is an incentive. Now, I know a lot of managers have said it's difficult to motivate players financially not quite the same for the lower levels, but certainly at higher levels. But what I used to find is managers, if they were getting really uh, peeved off with your performance as a team, take the day off away from them. You know, when you, like normally you'd play on a Tuesday night and you get Wednesday off, take it, take it away. Mm. You know, I would say to, I would almost be tempted to say, right, you, you, you don't get a result today. You're in tomorrow. Simple as that. You've got mm. to earn those days off, not just be given them and expect them, you know, cause it's, a, it's not nice as a professional footballer. You've, Travelled up to York or wherever on a Tuesday night, got home at ridiculous time, and you got to get up and come in in the morning. Um, you know, you 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 do need some rest. Don't get me wrong, but you don't have to train. You don't have to run. You can, you know, just get them in as punishment. Quite frankly, you know, you you mm. you got to want to win. You got you you've got to make it happen. Um, you can't just accept losing all the time. I mean, I, oh, not nice. <laughs> cool down, cool down, old dog. Cool down. Yeah. <laughs> Rick, there's um, there's a lot of um, what should I say chatter referring to this guy Martin Hellier, who seems to be, or I think has has made some sort of an offer, whether that's to Priestnell or whether it's to SSDC, I don't know, but he seems to be quite quite um, succinct in his in his tweets that he's putting out, and he says he's made an offer, and if it gets turned down, he's going to walk away, but he's still there at the moment. What do you make of that? He seems very flexible with his deadlines, doesn't he? Mm, mm. He doesn't get the answer he wants. He'll extend the deadline and give him a bit more chance. I, I honestly don't know. I mean, you, it's one of those situations that you hope somebody's coming in with the right money and the right incentive and the right motives. But until it happens, uh, you you don't know. There were some Americans that uh, bought out a big football club up north and they screwed it up. I would imagine somebody somewhere thought that they might have done a good job. So you don't know. Until somebody uh, actually is in situ, you don't know what they're going to do, can you? Because we can all make promises. Mm. Yeah, Adam, what do you think on that? It's a, it's an interesting one. It's um, I, I've been monitoring it, obviously, like everyone else has, and obviously he's currently the main sponsor of the, the, the main stand. 
Um, so, so he's already has a slight insight into the world of football. And clearly, like Rick says, if he, if he didn't think he would do a good job, he wouldn't be so vocal about it. Mm. The question remains of why is he being so vocal? And um, I mean, it, it might be because it's quite... Um, some could argue it's a breath of fresh air when previous ownerships have been um, purposely quiet. And maybe it's just because it's new and we're not used to that. And the fact that there's someone who that has a local link that wants to, to put it front and centre... Which which is which is nice. I think he's I think he's based in Ilchester actually. So um or Ilminster, out that way. So it's um there's an element of excitement because of I think everyone university kind of wants a change, including those at the top. But is he is he all shouting and, and not actually got the goods behind him? We we don't know that until it's put in charge, but quite frankly, given the the difficult position the club is currently in it needs a reset of some variety one way or the other i mean there's no such thing as an easy fixture but but looking at the fixtures to come we have got a, a reasonably um run of fixtures coming up not necessarily easy i mean as i say there isn't such thing as an easy especially when you're fourth from bottom there's no no such thing as easy fixtures but i mean steve do you reckon that'll that'll make a difference two home games coming up yeah. Um. Uh, no, I don't. It doesn't matter. The Oval have been playing some of the. T- they they on their day they can win a game. It doesn't matter who they're playing. You know they're good with results. You at teams with teams that are higher up. You know every game's difficult. Every game every game is potentially winnable. You know I don't think. Uh, to say it goes back to players again. If, if Mark Cooper can get the players up, um, then there's a chance we're going to win some of these games. It's, it's just... Uh, in, at this level, I think it's more to do with the mental side of things. I think players are all kind of the same. All right, you're going to get, have decent players in some of the teams, but Yeovil on their day should be capable of winning games. It's a mental thing. They've just got to work hard, be fitter than the other team, and score some goals. And that's the hardest bit. We don't score goals. So until we get someone who's going to knock the ball in the back of the net from whatever distance, two foot or even 20 yards, Yeovil are not going to win any games, are they? No, very true. Very true. Well, we'll just have to keep our fingers crossed. They've got a game uh, tomorrow night, which will be the night, you know, obviously we go out on a Wednesday and the game's on the Tuesday. We hope that there'll be something to interesting to report on the Wednesday. But... Um, Moving on to a few other stories that have hit the headlines. One today, which I have to say surprised me particularly, was the news that Fenway Sports are putting Liverpool up for sale. Um, I don't know. Who wants to head off on that one? Tom, what do you reckon of that? Yeah, that's quite recent for me. Um, we haven't heard that in the last sort of hour and a half or so. Um, yeah, funny one, isn't it? Um, I know Liverpool have achieved sort of, you know, they've had a bit of success. Um, over the last few years, and they've certainly been a nice team to watch. Um, I don't know. Obviously, this season they're a little bit in and out. Um, they sold Mane, which seems to me is the only real big obvious thing that they've done wrong. Um, yeah, it's a strange one. They obviously, it's probably a financial thing. Maybe they're looking at the financial, economical climate worldwide, not just in football, and thinking, you know, should we uh, recoup some and get back in at a later date, maybe, and uh, get buy it for half the price. <laughs> Um, no, I don't know. 
I don't know too much about it, but yeah, it's um, not good news really, is it, for Liverpool? Uh, great for us. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. So quickly. Are they are they getting rid of teams there because they've got a lot of American influence? No baseball, basketball. Mm. I don't I don't know too much, but are they are they getting rid of their assets over in the states as well? Then Aid. Do I, I'll put my microphone on. It helps. Um, I don't think they are. No, but uh, unfortunately, we've sad. we've normally got. Uh, oh, I meant to switch that off at the time. Um, We've normally got two Liverpool supporters on the show, which, of course, uh, they're not here this week, which is unfortunate because we could have seen what response we were going to get from them. But, I mean, I know Rick will be uh, perhaps uh, sitting there quietly chuckling away to himself. Uh, not really, because they're not selling them. They're, they are considering new shareholders. So that probably this means... I'm going to jump in. Yeah, it's, it's not a sale, is it? Well, that isn't, it's no. basically no. looking for more investment to make them stronger, which basically no one wants really, because I think football will be the poorer for it. Hmm. It's, course, a, it's a difficult one. Yeah, go on, Adam. It, go on. Yeah, um, so I think what we have to, I think the key thing to remember about who these Americans are, they're an investment firm. They are there, they bought Liverpool as an investment in 2010 for something like £200 million. That's now the same price that Burnley went for a year ago. So you've got to remember that the price of football generally has gone through the roof. That they're, they're putting uh, the values I'm seeing are about three billion pound for Liverpool now to, to, to buy it outright because it's quite well run and there's a good squad and there's a there's a stadium that's got uh, that's ever expanding. That's a huge amount of money. And although Liverpool have obviously pumped money into make them a half decent squad, much to Rick's disgust. Um, it's they're going to get so much more money out of this. It, it, it's it looks like the perfect time to pull the plug from their point of view, but for others, it's a, a really quite. Um, I don't know whether necessarily Liverpool are going to be better off for it because it's you're only going to have some other incredibly rich guy that wants to own it instead. It's whether they sell half of it or all of it. It's um, it's going to be interesting. Well, one of the stories that I read, there was uh, a question of they were they were um, enthralled by the fact that Chelsea had been sold for 4.2 billion, and uh, that was what was sort of motivating the the exercise in the first place. I mean, uh, I'm just wondering whether the Glazers will think, hang on, maybe this is the time to jump on the bandwagon. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. Two points I want to make, Adrian. First yeah. up, Adam. Other people don't like Liverpool. It's not just me. Other people but you, are but you make to... you make the point so well, Rick. <laughs> it's very well rehearsed. Um, yeah, but uh, the, the other point is is getting on what, what Adrian was just getting on to. Hopefully, from a United point of view, Chelsea have just been sold. Maybe the Fenway Group are testing the market, and if they can get a valuation for Liverpool, presumably the valuation and there's interest, then presumably the valuation for United will be higher. What with them being a bigger club and all, and uh, it may well uh, encourage somebody to actually have a it's, figure that the Glazers will take and bugger off. It reminds me of when I was an estate agent and someone puts their house on the market, and then someone else goes, "Oh, mm. my house is nicer than theirs. I'm going to put mine on the market." Yeah. Yeah. And everyone, everyone thinks their house is nicer than everyone else's. <laughs> I wonder what what sort of figure United might attract, though. I mean, I've seen the figure. 
they reckon Glazers reckon ten million a uh, ten billion, don't they? But I don't think they're going to get that. But uh, what yeah. did what did Chelsea? Chelsea went five, didn't they? Well, four. So Chelsea went for four point two five. Central London, though, isn't it? You got to remember that it's central yeah, London. Yeah. It's also the actual. Um, so that's four point two five, but one point seven five billion of that is we will spend that over the next ten years on players. That was part of the deal. Right. So if you do the math, it's something like it's two and a half billion. I think it was for Chelsea, but that's a smaller stadium. But it's balanced yeah. out by the fact it's in central London, so they probably level out about right. Um, I, uh, that's why I was working out that Liverpool's probably worth around three and a half to four, based on it's better, better financially run, uh, a bigger stadium, but but a slightly cheaper land. Old Trafford, you pr- uh, well Man United, you probably put another billion on that. I'd say yeah. probably around five to six. Yeah, five to six. If right. I had to put the figures on, um, I'm, I really should. I work in sports finance. I really should have a rough idea. But uh, yeah, no, it's. I, I put it around five to six. But I also think that unfortunately, that's nowhere near what the Glazers think it's worth, um, and they're refusing to admit that it's their fault. But somebody said, you know, we're in the midst of a, of, of a, a almost a, a worldwide um, financial crisis. Um, maybe that will be getting to them thinking. Well, hang on a minute. You know, if we could get five or six million in the middle of a crisis and who knows where the crisis is going to end up because nobody knows that least of all the politicians um you know maybe now is the time and maybe that's why liverpool have done it i don't know i'm open but then so is rick and so is tom i swear but you know no i'm worried by it i'm worried the fact that they could get more money in from different revenue streams and different people because is it the is it a money ball situation at liverpool adam it was originally, and basically, um, so yeah, anyone that's read the book or watched the film will know that eventually the guy that led Moneyball, which is basically using data in sports, um, and finding value in undervalued statistics is the key point. Um, they they were the guys that brought in the guy that then took them to the Boston Red Sox and went won everything. They're the same guys that own Liverpool now. So yeah. that's why they've been so successful. There's probably a link to being slightly wobbly that a lot of Liverpool's success can largely be tied to their ex-sporting director, a guy called Michael Edwards, who is um, a Moneyball fanatic, stats stats geek, a bit like me, but is uh, is much better paid for it than I am. That he oh. he's recent he's recently left, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting one to see. Just, uh, I think there's a lot of change going on, and we, we see that. That's the reason they're eighth in the Premier League. Is it's a club in transition, and quite frankly, I think they're just seeing it as the perfect time to to bail. Um, I think the economy thing's a really good point because the pounds crashed. So as a result, it probably it'll make it very cheap for outside investment, mainly from the US, uh, a bit from China, but mainly from the US, to to buy them for a lot cheaper than they probably would have done twelve months ago. Hmm. Well, it's an interesting Go, one. Going along with that Moneyball model, that's what I was listening to uh, another football podcast of lower quality, obviously, than this one. Obviously. But they were saying that the, the thing, the stumbling block that Liverpool have come up against is when they built the side, Klopp's first decent side, it was buying players, it was in the market for players like Robertson, Mane, who were at a slightly different level. Now they're at the top and they're having to shop in the top market and they've not got the experience of it. Perhaps they be better off as a club going back to looking for unearthed gems statistically based rather than just going for big names which hasn't really worked for them 
with hence the hence the rebuild now. So what you're uh, saying is that they're at Waitrose now, not Aldi or Lidl. Oh, can we not do the middle of Lidl again? Why not? <laughs> Why not? Spent ages on this last. <laughs> mm, yeah, well, that was just a point. Um, yeah, well, what it'll be interesting to see how it all develops. That's for certain. But uh, uh, you know, and then what about Real Madrid? Um, Liverpool drawn Real Madrid in the Champions League. That's going to test them, isn't it? It's a worry because Real Madrid can beat anybody on a one, one-off basis. But I'm yeah, having them arguing against myself. The two-legged victories they pulled off last season on the way to the final against uh, Chelsea, Man City, PSG. I mean, they did it to everyone. So, yeah. fingers crossed. Well, we live in hope, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, I think it's uh, makes for a great game, doesn't it? Vinicius Junior down the left hand side against Trent Arnold, who doesn't seem to be the greatest defender in the world at the moment. Um, yeah, well, it's going to be a great game, isn't it? Um, see, I fancy. I, I'll be honest. I still like Liverpool. I know they're not. I, I, I'm a Man United fan, but I, I still like watching them. I still think they're a good team, and I, you know, even the games that they've not won this year, they've generally speaking been a better team by some distance. Um, I, don't, I don't think it makes me laugh I, I know football is, can be so fickle I remember at the start of the season when Nunes scored against Man City and everyone was slating Haaland and raving about Nunes and then and now look where we are mm. um, so it's you know I dare say Nunes will come good when they get Yota fit um, Firmino will be fresh because he's not going to the World Cup by, by, by uh, reports so um, yeah I think I think Liverpool will still be they'll still finish in the top four uh, yeah, they, they, they'll challenge for the, the championship. But, um, yeah, I think against Real Madrid, that's going to be a fantastic game. Um, but Real Madrid have had some funny results, you know, not great results themselves in the Spanish league. They're playing tonight, aren't they? Uh, well, Monday night. Um, so, yeah, there's some good games, but that's, that's top-level football, isn't it? It's, um, it is something else at times. Mm. Second most glamorous tie in Europe drawn today. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, we'll come on to that in a minute. Um, what do you think, um, Will? Um, well, first question is, when when are these games played? I assume after the World February. Cup. Yeah, February. February yeah. yeah, so that's a long time to wait for that game, isn't it? Um, that particular game, though, Liverpool, I think, you know, as Tom was saying, I think that Real Madrid are beatable, but they, well, they all, all the games I saw them last season, they seem to not play too well, but win the game. Um, I don't know. It's a it's a great game, you know. Liverpool against Man United, uh, Man United, not. Liverpool against Real Madrid. <laughs> it's a classic game, you know. It probably should be in the final, but uh, I don't know. There's, there's lots of good teams out there. I just want to go quickly back to um, what we're talking about the finances. What I'm intrigued now that there's so many American financiers getting involved with the English game. Um, you know, there never used to be, apart from the Glazers, and I don't think. Uh, Rick calls them financiers um, there weren't too many Americans involved with the English game because they didn't know what football was you know what, why do you think that has changed Adam you know you're the finance expert why do you think that suddenly changed oh it's, it's changing a lot of Americans involved so from what I'm aware of, there's a, the growing interest from Americans in sport is that generally it's the fact that they're being priced out of their own sports. So if you take a look at the normal U.S. sports um, 
multi-millionaire that would previously uh, have tried to own an NFL franchise. We're, we're talking about the sums of money going for um, for Liverpool is being around, let's say, four billion pound. I think I'm seeing something like the Dallas Cowboys is worth something like ten billion pound for a, for a team that only play in one league. The reason for this is because that all the money is in one place. There's no promotion relegation in the NFL and things like this. But there are there's a there's a law of owning a sports franchise and they want to own it in some of the flashiest parts of the world and they can't quite get around their head that the idea that a sport that isn't based in the US um, is beyond them most of the time. So they've decided they want to buy um, clubs elsewhere. Uh, a lot of them bought them cheaply, cheaply from those that were previously run by the Chinese. If you remember rightly, about 2015-ish, there was a big influx of Chinese money. This was largely linked to um, the political structures in China that really wanted to encourage investment in sport there. So there's this increased increased interest in um, uh, football more generally, and the fact that their own sport, so investing in the MLS, is actually really, really expensive. Again, due to the fact that the, the league is closed off, it means that the revenue is closed off, that the main thing that brings the price down of football is that, okay, it's very unlikely, but there is still a chance Man United could be relegated from the Premier League or West Ham or literally anyone. And that's the point. You suddenly lose all of the money that's because we know that only the money really exists in the, in the Premier League. We know it doesn't exist in the National League and it doesn't exist elsewhere. So what they do is that's why the price stays lower, because there's this chance you could lose all your money altogether in the MLS. The, uh, I think their most recent uh, club that went to the league, FC Cincinnati, went for $350 million. Well, that's that's double the value of the likes of Sheffield United and things like that when they were in the Premier League. So what they're doing is they're seeing that this growing product that's they still think there's loads of value in it and the prices are only going to increase. So they're buying now, letting the football continue to grow, and then they'll sell it for much, much higher. And that's why a lot of them are, they're in it for the money. Because like you said, a lot of them don't know what football is and they see it for their financial benefits. There are some football fans that are that are American. We you know, we can't say that they're all not, but there is a growing trend that yes, they're all owned by the Americans, but they're all backed by private investment firms. You know, Bodie claims he's a football fan. He's also got a lot of money from a New York uh, financier. The Glazers, okay, they're not football fans. They've got a huge investment arm behind them. Liverpool are exactly the same. There are so many in there that there is a dangerous tinge of we're in it for the money rather than necessarily anything to do with where they are. They see it as an investment, not a, not a, not a club to support. And that's why Hence everybody's so involvement anti. involvement in the Super League, wasn't it? it was that, the Super League is driven primarily by American interests. And it's my, it's my genuine concern that we were all talking about how terrible the Super League is, and we're not that far away from the idea that the Super League could still exist. It will be called the English Premier League. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the um, all rules to do with the Premier League, back when it split away in 1992, are based off a majority vote. That vote is owned by the owners of the 20 clubs that are in there in that particular year. We are, and I think, we there will be a vote at some point by the Premier League to say, do we close off the Premier League? Do we get rid of relegation? They need 14 out of the 20 votes. Um, the Americans are baffled by the idea of relegation because all of their sports don't have it. 
So they're, you know, they're, they'll probably go, well, we can get more money and we can keep all of the money to ourselves and still be in the biggest league in the world. And I think we're currently at 12 out of 20 have a majority American ownership in the, US, uh, in the Premier League at the moment. That's yeah. what's quite so scary. So, so the quicker we get rid of the Glazers, the better then. You know, one one Dan's not better than nothing, but unfortunately, you know, if we lose the Glazers, as, as good as that might be, I think Bournemouth are in the current, uh, currently being taken over by some Americans as well, and it and they're equal votes. You know, the vote of Man United is as strong as Bournemouth, so we're in a. Are there any are there any championship are there any championship clubs owned by American investors at the moment? If they're available uh, at the moment. There's a few that I'm. Uh, there's a few I could. Th- uh, the names escape me, but there are some. Um, Burnley, Burnley are owned by a company called ALK Capital, well, who are who American. Mark, they? Well, they they they're in their own genuine mess of finances because they're in a war with the old owner because I think there was a contract in the clause that the old owner could buy it back if the club got relegated and stuff like that. Hmm. So there's, that there's, wasn't the Burnley one a, a leverage? takeover similar to the united one as well exactly known as a leverage buyout exactly yeah. the same. so yeah. it's um there, there are some in the championship and there will be the few that have seen the idea of trying to create this illustrated premier league but unfortunately either bought it at the wrong time or ran it so poorly that got themselves relegated that one thing the swore that would never happen it's um blackburn rovers is a fun example of that when they were bought out by the venkies in 2010 they didn't know you could be relegated from the Premier League, huh. and they have st- and they're still fighting back that uh, lack of due diligence now, 12, 12 years later, and have been back to League One and back. Well, we'll move on. It's an interesting topic, that's for sure, and it's useful to have you on board, Will, because you're uh, no, Adam. You're the man with all the facts there, that's for certain. Because I try my best. You actually yeah. know what you're talking about, which is good. <laughs> no place on this pod. Yeah. <laughs> we do it there. Yeah. <laughs> Lost. It's slightly intelligent even. I mean, however did you get on? I can't imagine. Um, right. A uh, bit of a slip up by United on uh, Sunday. Uh, hopefully just a bad day at the office. But um, we've got a, the prospect now of playing Barcelona. What do you think, Rick? Are you looking forward to that? Uh, yeah. Because it's the biggest tie in Europe in February, and it will probably be United's last one. So why why not go out? United aren't going to win the Europa League, never going to win it. So why not? Why, why try and hedge your bets and and be happy that you 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 stumble through another couple rounds playing against the lesser teams? Get the biggest tie out there. Get it done. And, yeah. and, and play Barcelona. And it's it's a heartback. There is no more. Glamorous tie in European football than Manchester United versus Barcelona, I'd say. It's the mm. biggest one out there. Well, not even Real Madrid. United against Real Madrid? Nah, United against Barcelona. Mm. It's, the, it's the biggest game in, in European football, I think, anyway. Well, I, I saw United, the last. I think the last time they played Barcelona, um, I actually happened to be up there with Roy O'Brien and we went to the game. And I must say that the atmosphere, everything about the Old Trafford, absolutely rammed, and United won. Tickets on sale at one tomorrow. Sorry, say that again, Tom. For us, for us Monday nighters, tickets are on sale from one o'clock tomorrow. Are they? Mm, wow. I see Lionel Richie's at Somerset Cricket Club, but that's another story. Um, 
yeah so but that brings me to the next point on my little list of things here i've seen i know in las vegas yeah good top yeah. drawer yeah. right at the front yeah yeah um how will the world cup affect well any situation in football in british football at the moment i mean you know it's never happened before this time of the year um so therefore we've, we've got that to overcome you know is the air conditioning all the rest of it is that going to affect it we've got all all the aspects of the sports washing which we don't know how that's going to how that's going to affect the overall situation generally but more to the point you know what state are players going to be in when they come back from the world cup are they going to be exhausted whether it be physical or mental are they you know is that going to affect the the second half of the english football league uh, calendar I, I don't know what what do you boys think well, it's going to be, uh, I think we're all going to find out in due course, really. I mean, there'll definitely be some players that will struggle from it. I think, as you've just touched on, Man United are certainly, you know, their form's dipping a bit now. They've got a few players out. Um, it depends how heavily used players are as well, doesn't it? Like, with, mm. all, with all due respect, England have got, a, on paper, a relatively easy group. Um, do they even need to play their strongest team in the first game? But mm. they'll want points on the board, won't they, straight away? So... It's a tricky one because Gareth's going to put his strongest team out to get himself what he wants and needs. Um, I think, if anything, we'll see uh, a bigger fall or decline towards the end of our actual season over um, anything in sort of February or March, personally. Um, but yeah, when, certainly going to be interesting and see what jams actually... see what see what players perform well to see who who wants to buy who in January. Mm. Who's going to be the hot property? When, when's the final then? What, what's the December date of the 17th. Three days before the next round of the League Cup. Mm. Yeah, but some players won't be in the final, will they? Most Not. of them probably won't be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'll be home, They'll be home yeah. way before that. <laughs> well, I mean, are, are players going to be given time off to re, you know, have a, a new uh, pre-season or what? I mean, how are they going to work it? Because we, we go straight into games on Boxing Day, I think, don't we, or something? Yeah. yeah. Championships back two weeks before. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but there's not that many championship players involved, is it? That's the thing, I suppose. I think there's quite a few, but it's not necessarily from England. Yeah. No, it depends. A lot, of, a lot of the Wales, a lot of the Welsh squad is in the championship. Mm. That's an awful lot of it. I think it's going to, I think it's going to make or break pretty much every single club season. If we're going solely say focus on the Premier League it's 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 the world's biggest momentum block of in any season I'm probably even larger than than Covid because everyone stopped at the same time and had the similar problem but it, it'll be something very similar to that sort of that first three month period because you've either got some really high flying teams that let's say Arsenal Arsenal's probably quite a good example of a team that on paper are overperforming and suddenly, all of that good form is going to fall out of the window. Liverpool at the other end, or, or Man United, who seem a little bit uh, up and down, as they so enjoy to be, um, having a complete hard reset of this is why we want to try something new. I think it's the reason why they've sat um, Ralph Harsenhutl at Southampton yesterday, or Sunday or, Sunday or Monday, I can't remember which day they sacked him. Nice. But a complete change of... We can we can put a stopgap and go right. We'll, we'll do something entirely new because of the World Cup. 
I don't think they'll get as much rest as they definitely deserve, in answer to your question, AD. I don't think mm. they'll get any at all. They'll um, The leagues will claim that they've got a big enough squad and that they've got to play the kids. But we all know that the season is far too important to these clubs to know that Harry Kane will almost certainly start again for Tottenham at the first opportunity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and no. if you if you play a load of kids in games just to make up the numbers, that's cheating the public. Because well, the public that too? Money. It's it's what is is funny about this is it's taken until the last couple of weeks for the majority of people to cotton on to the fact of what a nasty little World Cup in every way, shape, or form this is. And the time to make a, your protest were back in 2010 when Sepp Blatter and his nasty little bunch of cronies took the money and gave. World Cups to Russia and, and Qatar. That was the time to make the protest. Not now. People, are, it's, it's too far down the road. And it's funny how people are only now realising just the impact of what a nasty little tournament on every you, level this is going to be. On a side note, but sort of slightly linked, there was a report on the um, uh, radio the other day that Qatar government are paying England fans and Wales fans to go and they give them a credit card with availability on it to sit there and cheer and sing and look like they're enjoying themselves and report um, any sort of bad uh, publicity on Twitter and things like that. Mm. Crazy. It would not That's the least surprising thing slightly. I've ever heard. Crazy, though, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Talking about tatty and tawdry this is. It's a horrible, horrible situation. Talking about Southampton, which you touched on there, um, Adam, um, it looks like, because uh, apparently Luton have given them permission to talk to Nathan Jones, and of course Tom and I know Nathan extremely well. Um, i better go to you, Tom, first read on this one. I mean, do you think Nathan will, if you like, put, put to bed the mistakes he made when he went to Stoke? I mean, it's, it's hard not to want to take that job for certain. Um, really, really hard. Now, obviously, he has got past experiences you touched on there about, about leaving. Um, it's so hard, like I said, not to be tempted by the lure of the Premiership and, you know, a Premiership team and Southampton's obviously not a badly run club and things like that. But the problem is, how long are you going to be in that job for? And then what? Because let's be honest, if he lasts more than two years, I'd be amazed um, at a club that they're not a fantastic team. You know, Ward Price is not having a good season. He's probably their priced asset. He's getting older now. Uh, it's impossible for you not to ha take the opportunity, but it's not always. Look at Stephen Gerrard's taking the Villa job, and it, it started off quite well, um, and it's gone wrong for him. Um, you know, like Scott Parker getting Bournemouth up. I know they've done what they've done now, but it's you kind of sometimes you look at a job and you think, do you know what? I'm better not getting promoted because if I get promoted, I'm going to get sacked next year. It's a harsh, harsh world. Mm. Um, he's going to have to take it if he gets offered it, but time will tell. Time mm. will tell. Good luck to him, obviously, if he does take it, and I hope it works out for him, but it's it's hard not to accept it, isn't it? But well, As a manager, though, wouldn't, as a manager, wouldn't you want to play or have manage a team at the top level? That's what I was going to say. If he if he does take it, that's surely it's his second big job. It's make or break for him, isn't it? Because no one's going to come around and offer him a third, 
third go at it if he doesn't make well, this. You, you can't keep going back to Luton, can you? Um, no. It's a tricky one. It's, it's, it's so hard. Um, you know, he could probably stay at Luton for the next four or five years comfortably um, doing what he's doing now and getting a good reputation. But at some point, you, you've got to take that jump, haven't you? And, got to um, test himself, hasn't he? I suppose, realistically, he's got to look at that Southampton squad in detail um, and decide, does he think he can keep them up? Um, playing attractive football because Southampton, in fairness, do like to play quite nice football as a rule. Um, can he keep them up? What investment has he got? Is that going to be enough? And, and you'd have to look at every team around you, Forest, Wolves, Leicester, all those teams, and think, can I can I finish above four or five of those to be safe? Is mm-hmm. my squad good enough to do that? And I think that is when you would make your decision whether to take the job or not. And I don't look at it at the moment and think it is. Be honest, but knowing Nathan as I do, I think I think you know Nathan. He's not going to be frightened of frightened of it. He will want to go for it. I would have thought, and he he would be determined to. to, He'd give it everything. I've never known a bloke that's more more single minded on a job as as Nathan is. Yeah, but you're right. I totally accept that. But that's where you know being single mindedness in this instance isn't going to keep you up. You've Mm. got to put that to one side and look at it logically and with the stat men and look at that team and say, is this team going to stay up with what I can give them? And yeah, maybe your belief might make you think you can do it, but you've got to try and take yourself out of the situation and think, if I don't take that club, do I think they can stay up without me there? And if that answer is yes, then, then take the job. If you, if you're not sure, then I wouldn't take it. Would you take it, Tom? I'll come back to you, Will. Right. Would you take it? Only if I felt they were good enough to stay up without me there. Yeah, if I think... felt I could keep them up, if they, if I felt they were good enough to stay up without me there, I mean, they, they don't look a good team to me. I mean, they've done okay against Man United, to be fair, a, a little bit at times, but we still won. Um, I don't see that much in their squad, to be honest. I mean, you look at their strikers, you know, they're, they're, comp, they're uh, sorry, championship strikers who are, who, are, who are doing a bit. They're not... What have they got? Who have they got in their squad, really, that you would put in any of the top eight, nine teams? Mm. This, this young centre-back looks quite good, um, but he's been injured recently. He's a German lad. Um, they got a couple of young ones. I, I don't look at their squad and think it's anywhere near strong enough, personally. Yeah, but don't forget the, the, the financial aspects of it as well. I mean, I don't know what the difference is between a championship manager's wages and a, and yeah, a Premier League difficult. wages, but it's going to be considerable, Absolutely surely. Absolutely astronomically different. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Mm. It's, it's a great then, train you want to get on. You know, I, I think, to me, the, que- the question remains of, he's so well-established at Luton, and we, we all can see and sing his praises both as a player and as, a, as an as individual. What's the point in being a manager if you have nothing to aspire to? Luton have got one of the smallest budgets in the league, and he has got them somehow pushing to the playoffs regularly. He's then being given the option to go and uh, and talk about the greatest league in the world that we, we all love to watch. And he's got that opportunity from relatively just being incredibly well-drilled with a poor side. Well, that's exactly what he's doing now. He's He's... He's currently going on to course for a promotional playoff second year in a row with Harry Cornick up front. And quite frankly, when he was in a Yeovil shirt, I thought he'd get nowhere near the championship. He's 
he's clearly very good at what he does and he'll have learned an awful lot compared to his his Stoke experience. I, I think it's a no-brainer. I think he has to take it. Well, you've been trying to get in. Come on, now's your chance. Well, I was just going to say it wasn't a success at Stoke, um, but that could be because Stoke is not a well-run club, as is shown now, because they're not doing too well, are they? Um, Southampton, all right, they may not have the players at the moment, but they seem to be a well-run club. So he's going in kind of higher up than he was when he was going into Stoke. So I, I think he's got to take it. As Adam's saying, That's... you know, you, you have to you have to try and achieve the best you can. And if he's got the opportunity to be a manager in the Premier League, he's got to take it. Otherwise, what's the point? Mm. Yeah, well, well I, I'm sure he I, I'm sure he will. I mean, the fact that I I I, I think he'll probably take it. But like I said, we could look back and think, was it the right time? And I know mm. the time might not come. Totally understand that. But let's let's put another scenario on it. If they're flirting with relegation, say. March, they're third or fourth from bottom. What, what would the what would the board do then? Would they look to do something again? Would they think, right, is he the man for the job? Are they thinking if we go down, we know he got a chance of getting us back up? Or the fact, what would the fans think? Would the fans be on his side? Are they going to look at that and say, are we are we aiming for a championship manager in case we go down? Is it one of those? Yeah, but on the other hand, Ralph Husser, whatever his name is, um, has been flirting with it. All season and, and uh, to a certain degree. Well, yeah. And he's also the, first, the only, the only the first manager to concede. I think he's uh, up to about eight. He's, he's the only manager to concede nine goals in two games in one season. Yeah. I think I'm right in saying. Well, hence it's not a very good team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but hence he's maybe not a good manager either. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just you know I'm just floating but it. I think I think he's outlasted a lot of other Southampton managers. Over if you go back through the last sort of fifteen years of Southampton manager, he's done all right. Yeah, yeah, well, that's one way of looking at it. Look, just very quickly, um, we're running out of time. We've got about two minutes to go. So very quickly, I saw a little story that apparently um, Michael Owen has been left off the greatest striker list at uh, Anfield, uh, reportedly because he played for Manchester United. I think that's wonderful. All right, don't say anything then. <laughs> well, where did you get that from? I don't know. I mean, but I mean, people like Ian Rusher on it. I think Kenny Dalglish, so on. But I just thought it was so petty and so typically Liverpool. But there we go. Um, we've all got these ideas, haven't we, Rick? Speak for yourself, my friend. I'm uh, yeah open to all teams. I love them all. Yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. Well, look, lads, thank you very, very much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. Tom, thanks a lot for coming on, mate. Thank you um, all. Cheers, lads. It's, uh, don't sign off quickly. I want to speak to you before we finish. Um, Adam, thanks for coming down from New York. It's a long way. You've got to go drive all the way back now. A long time to go. Uh, but thanks it's for coming on. It's always worth it for you, Aidy. Ah, you're always a star, mate. You're a star. And uh, Rick, have I spoken to you yet? Yeah, yes, I have. Thank you very much for coming on. And, of course, Will. Well done, mate. Thanks very much indeed. Sorry West Ham lost over the weekend. Um, yeah. so there we go that is it football Thank you, bloody hell See thanks again. for joining us cheerio for now